0: Well, hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service for today. Wow, we are May the 24th, 2020. Thank you so much for tuning in with us, and I'm just going to have a word of prayer briefly today before we uh, get into the songs, and I would encourage you, you know, it's, I know it's strange for you to, to sing in your house, and, you know, you spend all day in your house, and then you... You're trying to sing to your TV screen or your computer screen or your phone or whatever. But I would encourage you to try and separate this time. The words of these songs are really meaningful for today's message. Um, So I would just invite you uh, to to sort of press through the distractions. Uh, And, you know, it's easy to just watch and wait for the message or whatever. But I would encourage you to participate. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have. Uh, to to connect with you and to worship you and to uh, to to praise you and lord uh, we we do so for for our benefit in many ways, and and it, it changes the way that we look at things. But Lord, we don't want to think about ourselves. We want to think about you and worship you purely for who you are. So I pray you would help us to do that, God, and to focus in on you this morning in these moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thirsty, come and be filled. Oh, come, come to the river, brothers and sisters, come and be healed. Come and be healed. We believe in the kingdom, come. We believe in the risen Son, you bring our hearts to life. Lord, we come with our hands up high. We believe you will satisfy. You bring our hearts to life. You bring our hearts father drawing us in oh see salvation coming jesus our savior hands up high we believe you will satisfy you bring our hearts to life Let the people sing the glory of your name Let revival come, let the people sing the glory of your name Let revival come, let the people sing the glory of your name all come let the people say the glory of your name the glory of your name we believe in the kingdom come we believe in the risen son you bring our hearts to life Lord we come with our hands up satisfied satisfy sin and shame and you covered me with grace you mend my life with your holy fire and you cover me with grace you are the hand that reaches out to save I am set free, oh, 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 oh. I am set free, oh, oh, it is for freedom that I am set free. You broke my chain. Of sin and shame and you cover me with grace You mend my life with your holy fire And you cover me with grace And you are the hand that reaches out to save I am set free, oh. say
0: The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, and um, he says this to them in chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that whole passage has to do with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but what's so important for us to understand is that the the work of Jesus on the cross the death of Jesus on the cross his resurrection from the dead this sets us free from our sin and this is the matter at hand in Paul's mind as he writes this to that church he says never forget that Christ has set us free from our sin he has set us free from the, the guilt of sin. And uh, these people had the, the elaborate law of Moses and a whole system of atonement to, to uh, pardon them and uh, uh, to forgive them of their sin before God. But it was only a temporary thing. It was something that they had to do repeatedly over and over again and it could never change the heart But yet in the work of Jesus, we have not only uh, the opportunity to be forgiven of our sin in an eternal fashion, but our hearts can be changed and we can be set free. And he says, do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And there he's referring to this idea that you have to do all of these things in order to be forgiven by God. And the reality is what you what you have to do to be forgiven by God, you cannot do. Only Jesus could do it for you. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you today uh, for it is done and it is finished and you paid that price. And, Lord, we can obtain freedom and mercy in our time of need and we can receive grace and forgiveness and we thank you for your blood that purifies us and atones for our sin on a on a permanent basis, God. We don't have to over and over again see you crucified, but you did it once and for all, for all humanity, for all time. So, Lord, all we can do is submit ourselves to you and say, God, we come to you afresh and we thank you for the freedom that you give to us we thank you that you give us the power to live a life that is free from the the power of sin and so i pray for each one who's watching who will watch each one who will listen Uh, lord there are people who are gripped by things uh, things that in our own strength we just don't have the ability to shake them off and uh, i pray that through the power of the holy spirit who is real you would set people free again and again and again, that we would live a life that is pleasing to you, one where we can face whatever circumstance and walk in joy and walk in peace and ultimately walk in freedom. God, we continue to pray uh, for people who are out uh, right on the front lines of things, even as uh, in our province uh, things seem to be dissipating and uh, growing. Uh, uh, better and better, at least for the time being. Lord, we pray for those who are in the healthcare system, those who are out in essential services, and and God did, just don't know, uh, uh, can't see that virus. Just don't know what's going to happen day to day. And so, Lord, we pray for them for your protection. I pray for households where there's stress, uh, stress in finances, stress in in relationships, families, kids, and marriages. Lord, that the power of the Spirit would continue to set people free, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again, everyone, and thank you so much for joining in with us today. Again, it's May the 24th. June is almost here, and uh, there's a few things that are going on uh, in our province. As you have heard, you can now have Um, backyard barbecues with up to 10 people and three families. Uh, Some retail stores are going to open tomorrow. So it seems that in the the culture, things are starting to look up. Uh, And I hope that you are getting some time to enjoy some of the beautiful weather that we're having and get out there and enjoy some sunshine. Even while you be wise and uh, maintain physical distancing and all of those things. I uh, just want to take a moment to welcome those of you who may be with us for the very, very first time today. Could be that you've tuned in during the week for our weekday teachings on the book of Acts and you're checking us out this morning. If that is the case, if you would take your smartphone and text the key phrase, Reach the One to 514-900-0130. The is going to come up on your screen. If you will do that, all I need is your name, your email, and your cell phone, and I'm going to send you a little electronic gift in the mail, which you're going to enjoy, or in the email, I should say, which you're really going to enjoy. You can visit us online at citypointchurch.ca. Uh, we upload all of the video content that we're producing right now is on our sermons page and so you can visit us there if you don't like facebook so much you can do it through our website we also put the audio of all these broadcasts and weekday teachings on the podbean and apple podcasts platforms so if you subscribe you can just get notified whenever i upload something new all right today's the 24th but next week on sunday that's may the 31st and we are going to have a uh, very special day because it is Pentecost Sunday in the in the calendar, and I'll teach you a little more about what that means next week. Uh, although we've already covered it in this series, and uh, we're going to wrap up this series next week and finish it. Okay, so Monday to Friday, I will be doing uh, the daily teachings on the Book of Acts. And I still have, I think, about 12 chapters to do, so I don't know if I'm going to make it in five days, but you, you you, join in and you catch up. Right now there's 25 teachings online, okay? And you catch up and you watch those things and you read the book of Acts for yourself, and on the 31st of May we're going to have a special electronic online quiz, Using the internet, we're going to use a Zoom call format for the questions to this quiz. And then you're going to use another device like an iPod or a little phone that you don't use anymore, just something that's connected to Wi Fi in your house to answer these questions, all multiple choice. And the winner is going to be sent a brand new iPad to their home. Okay, we did this at Easter, it was a huge uh, success, a lot of fun. And uh, so join with us and you can you can participate in that next week. I'll send out the, the link uh, as the day's approach, okay. And remember you can uh, continue to support the work that we are doing in trying to reach the one who is far from God, so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus by giving. And you can do that on our website. We have a give page there, and you can, uh, it's a PayPal uh, uh, connection. And you can also give via e-transfer. Thank you so much, those of you, you're continuing to to be consistent and to be generous and this runs all the stuff that we do online. And also, we continue to support, without fail, our missionaries, Don and Marie-José Mann and Michel and Louise Charbonneau. The, the Mans are here in uh, in Canada, and the Charbonneaux are in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and they're doing everything online over there as well. So we continue to support them, thanks to your generosity, okay? So we're continuing today our series called Christ in the crisis. Many people, when they uh, are, are having problems in life, the last book that they think of in the Bible is the book of Acts. And um, the book of Acts, however, should be one of the first books that we think of, because what we see in the book of Acts is really unique. It's a snapshot of the first followers of Christ from the first century, and how they lived, Jesus was no longer with them, at least no longer physically with them. And they were the beginning, the formation of the faith community. We use the word church uh, in our English translations today, the, the, the community of faith, uh, the people who, who called Jesus Lord and Messiah and God. This is the church. And so we watch them in the book of Acts. We watch how they live. And what's striking is there's crisis after crisis after crisis, problem after problem after problem that happens in their lives. And yet we see them persevere and learn and grow. And we see Christianity expand and expand and expand. And so we started with the crisis of comprehension, this idea that, God, what are you doing? i mean jesus had just conquered death and uh, so they see him, and they're like, "Okay, now you're going to wrap everything up. You're going to bring in everlasting righteousness. You're going to overthrow uh, evil once and for all. The Romans are going to be overthrown, and so on." Here it comes, and no, they were they were totally off there. And uh, that's when we don't understand what God is doing. And we talked about the crisis of conversion, and how conversion is really a moment of crisis in our lives. This is not a belief that we add to our existing beliefs. Conversion is when all of our beliefs change and they become centered around the person of Jesus. This is like a total revolution in our lives. Uh, We talked about the crisis of miracles and how uh, miracles often create a crisis situation, and they bring people to a place where they have to contemplate and repent and think about God and think about what He's doing in the world and so on. Uh, we talked about the crisis of exclusivity when uh, the people, the disciples were saying that it's by one name under heaven and earth that we can be saved exclusively in the name of Jesus and what that means for us today and what what kind of claim that is for us today. We talked last week about the crisis of persecution, which we see over and over and over again in the book of Acts, how these believers endured persecution even even to the point of losing their lives for what they believed. And today we're going to talk about the crisis of freedom, the crisis of freedom from Acts chapter 15. And you say, well, how could freedom be a crisis? Uh, But what we see in this chapter is that indeed, The freedom that people were experiencing was creating a crisis. In fact, it is the biggest crisis and the biggest controversy in the entire New Testament is what is going on in Acts chapter 15, and it's a very kind of high drama moment. But you will find it very boring if you do not know the backdrop of this big controversy Uh, in the book of Acts. And really, if it wasn't for this controversy, those of you who are watching today who uh, are professed followers of Jesus, you would not be a professed follower of Jesus if this did not happen in the book of Acts. It is extremely significant, and so you need to know the backdrop, and it's almost like a kind of review of the first 14 chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, There are some key things that happened uh, that you need to remember. Um, In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And he, he told the people, he said, you wait in Jerusalem and you will be uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they, they didn't know what that would have looked like or what that would have meant. But he said, and you will be my witnesses. In, remember, Jerusalem and Judea, that's the, the province that Jerusalem was in, and Samaria, that's a neighboring province, and to the uttermost parts of the world, to the ends of the earth. So that's the order that Jesus said that the message would spread about him, and that these people would have the power, the the ability to be able to, to testify, even in a legal sense, about Jesus, who he is, that he died that he rose again and that he is indeed god offering salvation to the world and so we see uh this this start to come to pass in acts chapter 2 when the the church is is kind of born into existence and the holy spirit comes and this really weird thing happens to these galileans who are praying in some room uh, and you see that they're, they're, they speak in these languages that they never could have learned because they've never been outside of their area. And all these visitors who were there for the day of Pentecost, or the, the festival of Shavuot, uh, by the, the, the Jewish calendar, uh, they all hear these people speaking in these languages, and they never learn them. And they, yet the visitors from out of town know what these languages are. And so this is the moment, of course, when Peter stands up and he, he explains to them, this is what was predicted hundreds of years ago by the prophet Joel. The Holy Spirit has now come, and he calls the people to repentance, and he calls the people to understand that this is because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus will come again. He is God, and He is offering you forgiveness of your sin. You need to repent and you need to turn to Him. You have this massive moment where thousands of people are baptized in water, and the church. Is birthed, but it remains at that point entirely Jewish. Okay, there's no non-Jewish people there at that time. It's all Jewish people, uh, except for maybe a few God-fearing Gentiles, and those were people who would come in to uh, to the synagogues and so on, and they would they would become accustomed to the law of Moses and so on. But they were rare. I mean, this was a Jewish thing. And then we start to see what happens as it begins to spread. And again, this is to help you understand the backdrop to this huge controversy that's going to happen when Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 perform the first miraculous sign Ever done by followers of Jesus without Jesus physically present. Uh, this is done in public. This is done in the area of the temple. And this is done to a man who'd never walked a day in his life. And this is this creates a big stir. And uh, the Sanhedrin, uh, sorry, the Sadducees in particular are very upset that Peter and John are preaching that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead this is this goes completely against what they believed about uh, uh, the reality that they thought that there was no resurrection at all, they didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah, and there's this huge, huge problem, and they're arrested and interrogated and told, you will not do this again, they end up releasing them, and yet we see the church keep growing, we see more and more people start coming to faith, and we see the power of God at work even in the, the lives of these early followers of Jesus, uh, we see that there's healings that take place. And and the, the, it's clear that these things are to demonstrate that Jesus is who he said he was. And then we see uh, problems start to arise in the church uh, where they have to appoint some leadership because the church is growing. And there's this issue of favoritism that they had to deal with in Acts chapter 6. And they choose these seven men to deal with this whole thing. And you can read that uh, on your own. We have covered it before. But uh, one of the men who is chosen there in Acts chapter 6, his name is Stephen, and he is a powerful uh, evangelist and in the course of his journeys and you know teaching people about Jesus he faces very much the same thing that Jesus himself faced and he is arrested by the Sanhedrin he is put on trial and uh, he ends up losing his life and is the first uh, martyr, the first person who, who is killed for his faith in the early church is Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7. And then you see this mass persecution start, and it's governed largely by young Saul of who oversees the stoning of Stephen and you see in Acts chapter 8 and I'll put a little sort of a chart on the screen there and you see the ministry of two guys in particular Philip who is one of those seven men chosen in Acts chapter 6 and the apostle Peter and you see Philip goes to Samaria And remember, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And you see that there are Samaritans who come to faith in Jesus. This is so striking that Peter and John are sent from Jerusalem to Samaria to check this out and to see that these people are filled with the Spirit. Remember, there's a magician there uh, who wants to buy the power that he sees coming from the hands of Peter and John. Uh, and, but you see this, this Samaritans are being converted and coming to Christ, and this is like, wow, they're shocked because people from Judea and people from Samaria did not get along. I'll be showing you some maps in a few minutes to put all this in perspective. You see the ministry of Philip to an Ethiopian a Jewish man, a eunuch, a very unique uh, uh, individual who is a high, a man of high standing, a treasurer in the household of the Kandaki. Uh, this is a sermon all to itself, but you see his conversion through the ministry of Philip. Incredible. And you see Philip uh, ends up settling in Caesarea. You see a very significant moment in Acts chapter um uh, nine and ten and eleven in in Peter's uh, ministry, um, you see in particular that a non Jewish man and his household, a man by the name of Cornelius, comes to faith in Christ, and he is. Uh, uh, saved baptized in water and filled with the holy spirit in the same day in the same way that these people experienced it in the in the book of acts in acts chapter one you say man this is so boring why are you giving me this history lesson okay well you're going to see in a few minutes and if you just put the little map on the screen you're going to see all that's all the movement of philip and peter okay and a, it's a lot of traveling looks like a pile of spaghetti but what's happening there is the The promise of Jesus for the message of the gospel to spread is starting to happen, you see, and that causes a problem, especially if you go to the next little slide, when we run into Saul of Tarsus, we see him stone a man to death we see him then in acts chapter 9 try to obtain these letters this communication between jerusalem and damascus so he can find believers and persecute them have them thrown in jail or have them murdered and yet god grabs a hold of this man's life and there's a complete reversal and the man who's trying to destroy the church becomes the greatest church planter the greatest evangelist of the whole New Testament era. And so there's this huge transformation that takes place in his life in Acts chapter 9. uh, Then Luke switches, and you see Peter's ministry, especially to uh, Cornelius the Gentile. But you will see as you read the book of Acts that Paul Um, ends up taking what we commonly call today his first missionary journey. This is a 1,400-mile journey that he takes with Barnabas and John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, and he travels through many, many areas where there are non-Jewish people. People, Okay, and I put a list there uh, on the screen and you'll see that Antioch of Pisidia is highlighted and bold. Uh, that's just a way to remember things about the journey. So Paul would end up taking... I think it's four missionary journeys and sometimes we use the word pacer to remember this okay so uh, paul is the p and uh, a is antioch of pisidia there are two antiochs so this can get confusing and then c is the trip where corinth was kind of the center and then e is ephesus and then r is rome pacer right so paul antioch uh, corinth ephesus rome just a trick for you to remember that uh, piece of trivia you say you're boring me you're boring me what is all this all about okay well look at look at this map okay so this is Paul's first journey you see in the bottom of your screen on the right hand side that's Jerusalem remember Jesus said in Jerusalem Samaria uh, Judea Samaria and all over the world And you see this starting to take place through this map. So uh, Antioch in Syria is up north, about 300 miles. i have got a little circle on it. And that's where it was kind of a home base of Christians. And people were first called Christians there. There were a lot of non-Jewish people there, a lot of Gentiles there. And that became kind of a home base. It was 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, there was a huge a uh, uh, group of Jewish followers of Jesus there in Antioch there were Jewish followers of Jesus there but a lot more gentiles a lot more non-Jewish people and you see all of the places that Paul visited in that part of the known world that's a lot of miles on the odometer you know that's a lot of steps on his uh on his app you know keeping track of all the miles and all the steps that he took okay and so you have a message that is going way beyond just the jewish people and people are being set free And non-Jewish people are coming to Christ in huge numbers. And uh, uh, Paul is seeing this, and Barnabas is seeing this in this journey that they take. You say, well, why would that create a problem? That should be a really good thing. Well, it turns out it turns into a crisis. So we pick things up in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. And at the end of Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are back in Antioch of Syria. After they complete their journey, they stay there for, quote, a long time. We don't know how long. Now the trouble starts. So Acts chapter 15, verse 1, you've got men who come, it says, down uh, from Judea to Antioch. Now Antioch is north of of jerusalem which is where uh, which is in the province of judea by 300 miles so you say well the geography must be wrong here it isn't wrong Uh, jerusalem the altitude is much higher than the altitude of antioch so you would come down from judea To Antioch, if you're going by altitude. And so this there's there's a bunch of men who come um, uh, to Antioch and they start teaching this. Very, very important. They say, unless you are, it's gonna sound a little crude to us today, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This is very, very significant. What is being said here by these men is that all of these non-Jewish people who have come to God and who have been forgiven of their sin and who are now part of God's family, uh, all of these people are being told, you, and this would apply especially to the men, are to be circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, and the implication is you also have to follow the law of Moses that you would find in the first five books of the Bible. Now this is taken very, very seriously by uh, Paul and Barnabas who are there um, in Antioch, and they argue, um, and they, they enter into a sharp dispute with these people, and so this becomes such a big deal that they are going to send, the leadership in Antioch is going to send Barnabas and Paul and some others to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the whole thing started. Jerusalem is where Jesus was was executed, where the movement began. Um, this is where the people were when they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So they're going to go back to Jerusalem. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is a, is a leader there. Peter is there in Jerusalem. And so they're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to deal with this issue because people's freedom is at stake, and so they end up uh, there in Jerusalem, and uh, they're welcomed, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and then you have it again, Acts chapter 15, verse 5, you have some, and this is going to be hard for you to, to, to swallow, but you have some Jewish Christian Pharisees, so these people are Jews, they have come to Christ, but they're also part of the Pharisees, they were the ultra-religious orthodox elite of the time. And yes, we're told here that these people were disciples. They were followers of Jesus. So you have the ultra-religious, ultra-orthodox Jewish followers of Jesus saying this, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the men require surgery, okay, and they're required to obey the law of Moses. You know how many laws there are in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible? It's like over 600. You've got dietary laws, you've got ceremonial laws, you've got civil laws. There's hundreds of them, and these ultra-religious, ultra-orthodox people are saying, all these Gentiles, they need to be circumcised, so the men, and they need to follow Moses and the law of Moses. Well, here you have this immense controversy that happens, and uh, uh, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, they are going to argue with passion against this, and it is amazing uh, how they do it and what happens, but you have to understand the drama of uh of what's being being uh what's unfolding here and you say I just don't get it I mean it's a first century seems like it just a religious debate how's this really applied to my life okay just hang on and you'll see okay but I want you to appreciate what it was like back then okay so first um Peter is going to to stand up uh after some debate okay uh, uh, Peter is going to stand up and he's going to say this in verse uh, 7. You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's going back in time there and he's talking about his experience with Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them note that phrase he accepted them by giving the holy spirit to them just as he did to us he made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith so this is this is uh, peter's argument that god Loves non Jewish people too. That God wants the whole world to come to Him. That God offers forgiveness of sin and eternal life to the whole world, not just to us. And I know it because God accepted them. And they should know this already in Jerusalem. Peter had to explain it when it happened, probably a couple of years prior. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? (laughs) No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. What's he saying? He's saying we can't even follow these laws. Uh, a yoke was a harness you harness two animals together with a yoke and if you could get them walking in the same direction they could haul huge amounts of uh, of load and uh, of mass and so he's saying why are we going to drop this yoke on these non-Jewish people when we ourselves can't even follow these 600 and something laws. Like we can't even bear this and we're going to dump this on these non-Jewish people and say that they cannot be saved without without following this law of Moses. He says, no, we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now he's a Jew, And by saying this, he's basically saying all those laws, in particular, the the ceremonial law, the dietary law, the civil law, all of these things are now of a secondary nature, because the fulfillment of all these things came in Christ, and all those laws can do is show us that we can't follow them. All those laws do is show us our sin. All they do is show us our unrighteousness, and therefore, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. And then you can hear a pin drop, and the whole assembly becomes silent uh, when Paul and Barnabas start to speak. And remember, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. There is a uh, um, definition to that word, uh, as well. It meant you'd be a spec. You could be a spectator, like in a sporting event, you were a witness, or you could be in a trial and you would be a witness, or you you could die for a cause, and that would be a witness. And here, Paul and Barnabas are going to recount their story. We'll put that map back on the screen. And again, you see Jerusalem, just for context, in the lower right-hand corner there, Antioch, 300 miles north. That's uh, uh, where that home base was, but the debate that's happening now is happening in Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas are going to say, you know, we traveled to Paphos And we saw this proconsul by the name of Sergius uh, Paulus come to faith in Christ. We even saw a Jewish sorcerer try to oppose us, and he was blinded by the power of God because he was opposing the message of Jesus. And we saw this non-Jewish man, Sergius Paulus, come to faith, a proconsul at Paphos. We went to Antioch in uh, Pisidia. Uh, up north there. We saw Gentiles come to Christ there. We saw Gentiles in Iconium and Derby and all these places come to Christ and be forgiven of their sin. We saw the power of God made manifest in their lives. This is what we saw, and this is what we experienced, and you could hear a pin drop when this happened. Uh, when they're discussing this and bringing this out and then you're going to see uh and this is the first time that he speaks you're going to see the half brother of Jesus James is going to get up and speak and it's clear that James has had a, a tremendous change himself because we're told in the gospels not even Jesus's brothers believed in him and yet you see James here he is regarded in this church in Jerusalem as the leader like when he speaks people are going to listen, probably because he was the half-brother of Jesus, and so James is going to get up, and you're going to be shocked what James says, and what he proposes as a solution here, but James gets up, and um, I'm sorry, yeah, 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 right. James gets up and he says, uh, uh, Simon has described, verse 14, there I am. He says, Simon has described, it's interesting, he doesn't talk about Paul and Barnabas, he gets right to Simon, uh, Peter, using the way that his name would be in Hebrew. So clearly he's in a debate with the ultra-religious elite even though they're followers of Jesus, he's in a big debate with them. So he's going to refer specifically to what Simon said to Peter. And he says, look, he's described to us how God showed his concern for the non-Jewish people a people for himself, he's taking a people for himself, and then he quotes from an obscure passage in the prophet Amos from the Old Testament, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles non-Jewish people who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for all ages. His point here is that God wants non-Jewish people too. You even see it in the book of Amos the prophet. It is my judgment, therefore, James is going to speak, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people who are turning to god we should not make it difficult implication we should not drop all these laws on them we should not drop circumcision on them their men shouldn't require surgery people should be accepted because they were accepted by god instead and here's the really strange strange thing instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. What? For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every sabbath all right so just just to 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 swallow and take a deep breath here his 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 first point we should not make it difficult for the gentiles who are turning to god again implication all these laws these things are not necessary it is by grace that we have been saved through faith in jesus now here's where it starts to become very relevant for us today there is a word that can that can uh, sum up what's going on here and what these ultra orthodox people want to impose on the uh, non jewish people and that is the word. Legalism. And that exists today. It exists in many churches today. It exists in the minds of many uh, followers of Jesus today. And it needs to be opposed with, uh, with passion. And legalism is this. God accepts you because of your behavior. We'll put that on the screen. God accepts you because of your behavior. So in other words, if you clean yourself up and you come to God, God will accept you. If you, if you change yourself, if you, if you find a way to kind of uh, transform your own life and clean up your act and come to God God will accept you because of your behavior. That is legalism. Uh, the, uh, a saying that could, that could uh, uh, sum this up. God helps those who help themselves. That's legalism. Okay, You're not going to find that phrase anywhere in the Bible, uh, what you'll find in the Bible is the opposite. God helps those who can't help themselves. And what that is, is called grace. God accepts you because of your faith, because of your faith specifically in what Jesus has done for you. is not by works you cannot work yourself to a right place with god you cannot do a bunch of things to get uh, God's pardon. You have to come to the one who did it for you. You have to place your faith in him. And this is not some lip service faith. This is not Hollywood faith. You know, in Hollywood faith, faith creates reality. This is not that type of faith as some sort of creative force or something. If you believe something hard enough, it will become true. No, this is faith in Jesus. And what Jesus has done and in who he is, and when you have it, God accepts you. He doesn't accept you based on your following of the law of Moses. He doesn't accept you based on you being circumcised if you're a male. Ouch. He accepts you because of your following of Jesus and your faith in him. That is grace, you see, and there are many people today who think, well, you know, if I just if I just clean myself up then maybe god will accept me or maybe this church will accept me if i kind of become like them you know whole churches can become legalistic when they say to people who are coming in you have to be like us to be accepted by us you have to dress this way you have to talk this way you have to not talk this way don't smoke don't do this don't do this don't ladies you know whatever it is uh, (laughs) don't wear pants or i mean some of these legalistic things are just ridiculous when we tell people that they have to clean themselves up and become like us to be accepted by us that is legalism in grace we are saying when a person comes to Jesus we let God purify their heart My friends, you cannot do the job of God. You cannot clean up somebody else's life. You've got your own life to worry about, okay? So in grace, we say what, what Peter said, God purified their hearts by faith the sanctification process the purifying of the heart happens by faith in jesus it doesn't happen by uh, us attacking a person and telling them that they have to clean up their life that's legalism it doesn't happen by dropping 600 laws on someone and saying you must follow all this in in order to be saved that's legalism in grace God accepts you because of your faith. And so, uh, we again, we see this response from James, and you say, what's with these weird abstentions, you know, this stuff about eating animals? And there's basically two prohibitions that he's going to put in place. Okay, again, he's taking 600 and some odd laws, he's taking circumcision, and he's saying this is not necessary for salvation. These people can learn the law of Moses. It's taught in the synagogues. It's preached in the synagogues since the earliest times. It's read every Sabbath. If they want to learn the law of Moses, they already can learn the law of Moses. But these are the abstentions that I am going to uh, uh, recommend. This is my judgment. And really, when you understand them, they're in two areas. And you may laugh at this. The abstentions are in food and sex two areas and and james is going to say i'm going to 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 act uh, to tell these gentiles you need to abstain from two things and no it's not eating in sex okay it's very very specific now the reason why james does this is because the gentiles the non-jewish people and the jewish people are actually going to worship together They're actually going to live and worship in the same communities. They're actually going to sit at one another's table and have fellowship and food together. They're actually going to have unity and harmony together. The ultra-Orthodox Jew and the complete Gentile who has no Jewish background whatsoever. So James is very aware of this, and you'll see James in his book of the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. Well, you're going to see wisdom here, and this is what he's doing is two. Really, it's two abstentions. It's not four, and the areas are food and sex. And if you look at them carefully, uh, you see that food polluted by idols. So if you are a non-Jewish person and you're in that time you're coming out of whatever whatever religious thing in the greco-roman empire look they had their gods and goddesses and they had their sacrificial systems as well and their animal sacrifices and all that stuff and what would happen in some of these temples is they would have these animals and they would sacrifice these animals and then they they would have too much of the animal on their hands in whatever pagan temple and they would take this animal and they would whatever was left and usually that was some pretty good meat and they would put it on on the market and try and sell it so it would be right out there in the market and these non-jewish people well they were quite accustomed to buying this meat and eating it but this was meat that had been offered to some sort of of god or goddess or some sort of idol and this offended the jewish people greatly and they would never do such a thing. This was totally against their uh, dietary laws, which were very strict and very severe. And they lived with these things all their lives. So you've got these Gentiles, who it's no big deal to them. They're used to it. And you've got these Jews, and they say, this is like the worst thing that you can do. And so James says to these Gentiles, don't eat that food that's been... Uh, 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 polluted by an idol is his term so why not not because uh, it's necessarily going to hurt the gentiles but because it's going to create a big big rift they have to have harmony with these ultra orthodox jewish people so he says um, uh, food polluted by idols we'll skip the sex part for a second the meat of strangled animals, and blood. That's really the same thing, and that also pertains to food, because in in Jewish law, okay, and this is specifically, this is from Leviticus chapter 17, and there's virtually no doubt that this is what James has in mind, um, because there in Leviticus chapter 17, you see a very strong prohibition Uh, You also see it in Leviticus chapter 7 about the consummation of uh, blood. So verse 13 of Leviticus 17, and the ultra-Orthodox would live by this. Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature, because the life of every creature is its blood, and anyone who eats it must be cut off. Strong prohibition. And this was because... Um, in that time the blood of animals in particular what they called the life blood and that was the blood that rushed out of the animal when they slaughtered it that blood was offered for the atonement of sin so you were not supposed to eat this you were not supposed to eat this animal that still had that life blood in it and so they would be strongly opposed to this and the consummation of blood would be the same thing so the animals to the idols the animals that still had the lifeblood in them those would be animals that they would they would um, uh, kill those animals by strangulation the Jews had an elaborate process. They would slaughter the animal using a blade, and the lifeblood would flow out, and that's what they used for atonement. If an animal was strangled, that so-called lifeblood would not come out fully, and this is why there was this prohibition. And so the the abstention from blood, the abstention from eating uh, an animal that had been strangled, and the whole thing of, well, you know, this animal had been offered to some pagan idol, all of these things, James is saying the Gentiles should stay away from those things and he also includes this whole thing of sexual immorality this word porneia uh, which he just uses there most likely he is referring to Leviticus chapter 18 in 17 you have the all this stuff about blood and diet in chapter 18 you have a large amount of of um detail in the Mosaic law. In particular, this had to do with uh, um, incestual uh, relationships. There's a lot of that in detail here in Leviticus chapter 18. Uh, you do have a prohibition against uh, homosexuality as well there, uh, you know, child sacrifice to Moloch, all kinds of gross stuff. But in particular, uh, you're talking about Uh, a lot of detail with regard to incest is there in Leviticus chapter 18 and in the religions of the Greco-Roman empire that would largely be an acceptable thing and so um, James throws that in and he says the the food thing and the sex thing the gentiles are to abstain from this they are to stay away from this and they will do well to stay away from this Uh, of course the sexual uh, immorality thing is binding uh, still today because we see it all over the New Testament, uh, things about uh, uh, sexuality and sexuality that's done in a healthy context and in a sinful context. And the sinful context is still obviously prohibited, but it's clear here that most likely um, James is referring specifically to Leviticus chapter uh, 18, as well as 17. And so he's saying, Um, they are to abstain from these things. Again, if they want to learn Moses, they can learn Moses in the synagogues. It's out there in the open all the time. And so they come to a place, and they say, all right, let's send a letter. (laughs) And so they draft a letter, and here's what the letter says. I mean, this is just crazy. 600 and some odd laws. All of them. no, No longer relevant in terms of salvation. They show us our need for a Savior, but no longer relevant in terms of salvation, and we are not going to impose these things on Gentiles. And this is what is said to the Gentile believers in Antioch. That would be Antioch to the north uh, in Syria, but it could also refer to Antioch in Pisidia, uh, further west uh, in Syria, in Cilicia. These are the places that Paul and Barnabas went to. You saw it on those maps greetings i mean and here's this little short little kind of email we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed and choose, uh, to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas, not the same Judas who betrayed Jesus. There are many Judases in the New Testament, and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. In other words, we're not just sending Paul and Barnabas, we're sending Judas and Silas. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. (laughs) So, I mean, the Gentiles, they're going to receive this news with great joy. The men, especially the men, right? The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, again, Antioch lower altitude there, where they gathered the church together, delivered the letter, the people read it, and were glad for its encouraging message. Yes, Judas and Silas, uh, they, they uh, uh, went on their way, and Paul and Antioch remained, in, uh, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they preach and teach there. So, I mean, this is a crazy story with a crazy but very, very wise response. It is amazing. I mean, there's no way you get into this weird religious debate and you see this solution that that they all agree on. There's no way that this could have been made up stuff. This really, really happened. And we should thank God that it did, because most of us who call in the name of Jesus today are, are not of Jewish background or descent. Most of us are not ultra-religious Orthodox Jews who try to follow the law of Moses. Most of us, we don't know anything about that, and yet God accepts us too because of our faith in Christ. What's the application for us? What does it mean for us today? Listen closely. Number one, um, God accepts you by faith in jesus we could put that slide on the screen what does it mean for us yeah i see it okay he accepts you by faith in jesus listen to me maybe there are those of you who are you're you're seeking and you're interested in this stuff and um you 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 hear this message and it's maybe you haven't heard christianity presented this way to you before god accepts you by faith in jesus it's, you, you cannot work your way to Him. You have to come to His Son. You say, well, how do I know if I have faith in Jesus? How do I know? I mean, that seems like something that's really hard to discern. Well, you know by really two things. Number one, you I'll use this term, you get sick of your sin. Uh, that's called repentance, And we see this in the book of Acts. Repentance is when in your mind and in your heart, there's a total reversal of position on the subject of sin. When that happens, that is usually accompanied by faith in Jesus. Those two things work hand in hand. And when they do, that's when you know that you believe And when you do that, when you know that you believe what you should do is you should pray. And you should seal the deal and ask God to accept you and ask Jesus to come into your life. John would write to the people in his Gospels, those who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And you can initiate a relationship with God in a very, very simple way today. Uh, just by praying. You can come to him. We'll put some background music on here as we close. You can come to him just by praying and say, God, accept me, accept me based on what Jesus has done for me and you can say Jesus come into my life the shortest way this is expressed in the new testament is this little simple prayer in the gospel of luke where the where the man outside the temple says lord have mercy on me a sinner you pray that prayer and you have initiated a relationship with god through jesus number 2 the church must resist legalism there are millions of people uh, even in this province of Quebec who do not know Christ they are not going to come to Christ through legalism they're going to come to Christ through faith and they cannot be told you are not accepted here unless you clean up your act first no Acceptance is based on whether or not God accepts them and God accepts them through faith in Christ. It is God's business to start to transform that person's life. The church must fiercely resist legalism as fiercely as Paul and Barnabas and James and Peter resisted it. And the final lesson for us today, the final application, learn the lesson of the COVID mask. We are being asked now uh, to wear masks uh, when we're out, when we're shopping, especially when we can't have that two meter distance. We're being asked to wear masks. Do you know why? We're asked to wear the mask for the benefit of other people. Because that virus, if we have it and we don't know we have it and we cough or we sneeze, and someone is near enough to us they they stand a risk of getting infected and we don't even know it and what that mask will do is it will provide a layer of protection not so much for us who wear it but for those who are around us and what that means is we're thinking of somebody else before we think of our selves wow that's right out of the bible uh philippians chapter 2 teaches that that's what jesus did and that's what we are to do well if you're going to live in harmony with other people who are followers of jesus and you have certain views on certain religious things and they have certain views on certain religious things what do you do you think of the other person you, you, you remember that COVID mask that you had to wear for however long it will be. You're thinking of the other person before you think of yourself. And that's a very, very... Uh, disciples do that. They think about others before themselves. They say, well, you know, I could eat that meat, for example. But if I eat it in front of this person, it's, they're going to be really, really offended by that. It's going to mess up their whole religious thing. And so I'm not going to do that because we need to live in harmony one with the other if we're going to be effective as a community of faith. God accepts you by faith in Jesus. The church must resist legalism. And there is a lesson behind the COVID mask that will will be in the history books for all time. So, Father, we thank you today, Lord, uh, for this, this strange but very meaningful and very powerful story that we read of it took place 2000 years ago and we thank you ultimately lord that because of what you did for us we can come to you without law without circumcision without trying to follow a bunch of rules and a bunch of non-rules and a bunch of do's and don'ts but we can simply come to Jesus we can come in faith and in repentance to Jesus and we are so thankful for that God I pray you would you would empower people who are watching and listening, people who call themselves followers of Jesus. You would empower us, God, to go and tell, to go and be preachers of the message of Jesus, the message of freedom from sin to people who we know, God, our friends, our co-workers, our families, our our loved ones. Uh, God, the people who we're in communication with, our circle of influence you would enable us lord we would not be satisfied just living our lives and not influencing others but god we would want to see others experience the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life i pray for those lord who are just trying to figure it out just trying to explore that people would come to faith in you even through this broadcast even through what has been taught today people would surrender their lives to you. Those who who have drifted away, God, we, we would recommit ourselves to you. Those of us who have never known you, we would for the first time come to you by faith. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your great love for us today. Amen and amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer today, uh, would you reach out to me? Would you send me a, a message, maybe through um, through Facebook? Or you're going to find my contact information on our website at citypointchurch.ca i would love to help you to take the next step uh next week we are going to finish this up with the crisis of delay the crisis of delay and then in the afternoon we're going to play a little game and someone is going to take home an ipad we're going to have a great time together those of you who uh, have received the message from me we're going to have a zoom call in about 45 minutes i look forward to connecting with you any of you who have uh, registered today with your email, your cell phone number, I will quickly send you that Zoom link and you can feel free to join on the call today. It's great to visit with one another and at least see your faces and uh, pray with one another. So God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday and stay safe, everyone.